Olivia from Ozone Podcast. I like to listen to people talk about things. So here's a really good network for people talking about things. It's actually called the Discussing Network because it's people talking about things. Enjoy! To me, Van Gogh is the finest painter of the world. Certainly the most popular great painter of all time. I wonder... He transformed the pain of his tormented life into ecstatic beauty. Pain is easy to portray, but to use your passion and pain to portray the ecstasy and joy and magnificence of our world, no one had ever done it before. Vincent? Look out! I know how it will end. But it will not end well. I wonder if I... I believe if you look hard, there are more wonders in this universe than you could ever have dreamed of. The Discussing Network presents Discussing Who, a Doctor Who podcast. I am Kyle Jones, and I am very, 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 three varies, happy to say that I have all the way from the Gated Galaxy's headquarters, I would like to welcome the creator, writer, producer, and one of the stars of the Oz9 podcast, Shannon Perry. Shannon, how are you? I'm good. Wow, that was quite the glowing introduction. <laughs> Hey, it was three paragraphs long, and I cut it down, so... Sweet, thank you. (laughs) Shannon was born, and... (laughs) So how are you? I'm good, I'm good. This is exciting. So you are in Series 3, Season 3 of Eyes 9 Podcast, so how does it feel being back in the thick of it again, so to speak? (laughs) Thick. There's a lot of sickness. It's good. It's great. I mean, we just did episode 42, just released 42. So, of course, there was a great deal of Douglas Adams thing going on, which was great fun. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you. Just go ahead and start off by saying thank you for joining us. We're glad that you're here, but I am also glad that someone else is here, and that would be none other than Mr. Clarence Brown. Clarence, how are you? Hey, man, I'm doing pretty good. As always, happy to be on another episode of Discussing Who with you guys and, and Shannon along as well. So I'm, I'm here to have fun, man. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, also glad to have back the one and only Mr. Lee Shackelford. Lee, how are you? Very well, indeed. Very well. I'm not the one and only Lee Shackelford, too. I, I learned that there is a, a fashion model, a lady, a very pretty lady, in uh, on the other side of the planet named Lee Shackelford. Yeah, but see, I live in my own reality, and in yeah. my own reality, you are the one and only mm. Lee Shackelford. Just saying, she's probably the more famous one. There's another Shannon Perry right here in Seattle. Really? That's mm-hmm. awkward. <laughs> <laughs> she's much cooler than I am. <laughs> I find that hard to believe, but (laughs) we'll be the judges of that. (laughs) Well, when I lived in Hattiesburg, there was another Kyle Jones that lived in Hattiesburg, and I think he was a reverend. And People never got me confused with him, though. (laughs) (laughs) You were the irreverent Kyle Jones. (laughs) There you go. 
Oh, well, speaking of irreverence, I don't know if this is irreverence. Mm. This is actually, actually kind of awesome because we have news this week. And the news says coming from Big Finish in 2021, Christopher mm-hmm. Eccleston will be coming back as the ninth doctor. So Shannon, curious, what do you think? Big Finish, Chris Eccleston back. <laughs> I was a huge fan of Chris, of Chris Eccleston. I was very sorry that he only lasted a single season. I was really disappointed to see him go. So I'm thrilled that he's coming back in this capacity and whatever caused the kerfuffle is now smoothed out. So welcome back, Mr. Eccleston. Here, here. So this is a question for everyone. Do we think this might crack the door or blow the door wide open to maybe a ninth doctor in the 60th anniversary? Perhaps, maybe? Well, if it does, it would be fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, apart from the, the inevitable joke there, I, I guess uh, – I don't see why not. I mean, I know that a lot of his uh, his issues, uh, by his own admission, were about body image, and I know that um, I think everybody who plays a role like this, they they have to kind of think, ooh, that was that was 15 years ago. I don't know if I want to go in front of the camera and try to be that person again. But since he's seen everybody else do it, mm-hmm. um, ah. you know, once you've seen Peter Davison do it, <laughs> uh, whether, whether whether canonically or not. Yeah. So I, I, I think uh, I hope he's in a place where he can do that because it would be very that would be very healthy. Mm. But even if he's not in a place yet, he's, st- you know, one one little step is one little step, you know. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And this is kind of a big one, kind of a big one. This is a very, very big one to, to really get into those uh, those shoes again and into that into that leather jacket and <laughs> so to speak yeah. for big finish. So I'm curious to know, and I haven't read this or don't know, but I'm assuming this will probably be with another non-Rose companion. So I'm curious to see how they're going. If they do do another non-Rose companion, how they would fit that into his story. Yeah, that would be timeline hard, wouldn't it? Yes, indeed. Yes. So I'm curious, does anyone have, that's the only piece of news that I have. Does anyone have any other news before we move on? Not Doctor Who news, no. Awesome. Well, what other news do you have? Curious. (laughs) You want to share? (laughs) Well, it looks like we don't have any other news. So that tells me that it is time for me to say, if you have not seen Vincent and the Doctor, put us on pause, go out, watch the episode, come back, because from this moment forward, spoilers. 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 Alrighty, the spoiler warning has gone out and we are back to review Vincent and the Doctor. This is the 10th episode of the 2010 series of Doctor Who, first airing on the 5th of June 2010. It starred Matt Smith as the 11th Doctor and Karen Gillan as Amelia Pond. So Shannon, I will start with you. Summary view. What did you think of this story? Summary view. Um, actually, can you hang on? I, I sure. seem to have, I seem to have lost my recorder. 
Oh, dear. Oh, well, I do believe I have a recorder. <laughs> like, seriously, you owe me a bottle of wine. I, I, I will. <laughs> if, when I finally do get to see you, you, I will have it. Trust me. Oh, well, do I get to now do the summary since I did that? Bit? Yes, because that just, we, we could end the podcast right here because Clarence says, no, that, that, that was worth it. So, but yes, yes. Some review, However, really. Shannon, if he put you up to that, then it's not your fault. And you, <laughs> oh. one might say so. It's not my fault. You. You, so, know, you know, I'm like geeking out over here. Just FYI, yeah. <laughs> I'm just excited to be on this because I've listened to like your show for ages now, and it's kind of fun to be behind the scenes. Well, what's so, really yeah. fun is so, being able to know that that just went perfectly, and I'm so like <laughs> giddy right now. <laughs> so I'm sitting here with my little figurine. So we get those little figurines in a box at the comic book store. And you don't know what's in the box until you open it up later oh, yeah. after you've already paid for it. And I have my Vincent Van Gogh. <gasps> wow. Right wow. Here in front of me. Yes, indeed. And my David Tennant, which I realize is not the correct doctor to have down here, but. But he's still sorry. David Tennant. David Tennant, right. Yeah. Uh, so my summary of this episode, this is one of my favorites. When people say they want to start watching Doctor Who, but they don't know where to start. This is one of the episodes I point them at because I think as a standalone, it works pretty well. And it's so beautifully, beautifully done. And it makes me cry. And I have to skip the bit in the middle where they kill the thing. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. uh, hey, cool. So, Clarence, what say you? What do you think? Oh, man, this has always been one of the episodes that I've always pointed out is, is some of the best of Doctor Who, especially New Who. <clears throat> Excuse me. But, you know, as I've said before, I haven't gone back and watched um, any of the New Who episodes other than what we've reviewed, you know, for the past few seasons um, of, of, of airing live since we've been doing the podcast. So it's fun for me to go back and see these and kind of get reacquainted to to what is just a wonderful episode that pulls on the heartstrings and, you know, gives you hope and takes it away and <laughs> it feels every emotion in between, man. It's just a wonderful uh piece of work um also i love the visuals i think all the visuals were great in this as well um looked like it could happen yesterday just shot really well i watched it on hbo max but it, it just it's a wonderful episode what about you guys oh it's absolutely one of my favorites too and i i i, I think back to the time when it was airing first and, and, you know, everybody who was kind of following the show on uh, what social media was way back then, you know, some of us were excited about the fact that Richard Curtis was writing an episode of Doctor Who. And, uh, I'm a big fan, Richard Curtis. I believe Shannon is too. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, wow. Uh, and this is what he writes. Holy smoke. Holy smoke. Uh, I have a number of personal reasons for being really connected to this story and they're about Vincent. It, it is. It's just a, a perfectly satisfying episode just in every way that I, I can think of. So, yeah. All right. Loved it. So before I give my two cents, what could you guys tell me and Shannon or Lee, either one about Richard Curtis for anyone listening that's not familiar with his works? Oh, doesn't, does everybody know Four Weddings and a Funeral? He co-wrote that with Ben Elton, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ben Elton, yeah. Has Ben Elton ever written a Doctor Who? Could he? <laughs> I don't know. 
Yeah, it's good. Yeah, why not? Um, <laughs> but yeah, they 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 co-wrote um, that and Notting Hill. Uh, Notting Hill, yeah. And there's there's sort of like there's a trilogy of them: Four Weddings and a Funeral, Notting Hill, and A Love Actually. Right. Which which has Bill Nye in it now that I think about it, uh, and, it and and so does uh, um, Pirate Radio. And I but I know and love uh, Richard Curtis first from Blackadder. Yes. And uh, and he and so he has this relationship with uh, Rowan Atkinson. So he's also written a lot of the Mr. Beans and all of Blackadder. That's why I recognize so, that name. Okay, yeah. Cool. So yeah, and uh, and and so we think of him obviously as being a great writer of comedy. So. He's going to write a Doctor Who. Oh boy, this is going to be funny. Oh, 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 he is okay. absolutely Whoa. brilliant. <laughs> but, 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 you know, I'm going to ask this question to Shannon because I, I've heard on some of the talks that you two have had where you've talked about your writing styles and the different types of writing. But Shannon, wouldn't you say that writing comedy is much harder to do than writing drama. No. Really? Well, you do it so. <laughs> oh, well. well, you do it so naturally, but but seriously. You're very good. All right, so Lee, you're the professor. <laughs> Let me ask you that question then. Which is easier to do? For most people, comedy is famously the hardest kind of writing to do. Shannon has a gift. Shannon so, doesn't like conflict. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. basically that simple. <laughs> right. Um, an explanation that I don't buy because uh, comedy <laughs> thrives on conflict as well. But yeah, <laughs> you, you, you don't like ugly screaming and fighting. That's mm -hmm. different. But yeah, um, but it, it, it is. So, so really, no, you, you're exactly right. Uh, if, if, uh, Here's somebody who, who writes comedy brilliantly. And so it's almost like taking the week off to write something this, um, uh, poetic and dramatic because I think that it probably is uh, in some ways easier. You think about this is something that I, that I, that I've really loved over the years is that there are a lot of comic actors who once they had made their names, made their careers with a, uh, a famous role in the movies or a long running uh, radio or TV show, then they could settle down in later years and do a dramatic series. Look at Jamie Foxx. He started so, out in Living Color being a comedian and look at all the roles he's played Ray Charles and all these dramatic roles that he's played. Right. And, and I don't. Say that, that something like that amazing performance as Ray Charles, that there's anything easy about that, but it is, uh, it, it requires a different kind of performance than, uh, than, than, than his kind of comic roles. Um, you could say the same thing about Will Smith too. True. Um, and I'm thinking of, I'm thinking further back, of course, because I'm older, but, but this is the, the trajectory for, uh, Angela Lansbury and, um, Jack Klugman and, Oh uh, God, who all else? Uh, Andy Griffith, um, Rowan Atkinson. Rowan, now he's well, playing the, the 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 oh, excuse me, that's the right. detective now, series. Now he's Megre. That's right. Yeah, and uh, yeah, on and on it goes. And uh, and they'll tell you it's it's just like retiring. Well, Angela Lansbury said that uh, they told her that she could do a three camera sitcom or they could do a murder mystery show, and she said, "Oh, good, let's do the murder mystery show." Not realizing <laughs> that is ten times harder than doing the three camera sitcom. That <laughs> she was kicking herself after that. But anyway, <laughs> well, well, where I was going with that was if he is such a brilliant comedy writer with all the things that he has done that he is known for that has been embraced as comedy, then it just seemed natural that he would be good 
at creating something that I think is so universally loved. And what Shannon said and what Clarence said, you know, about being this is what you recommend and remembering it as being such a good story. I'm going to echo that because I think this is one of that something that I easily say to people who have never watched Doctor Who. If you only want to watch one episode to give it a try, go watch either Blink or Vincent mm-hmm. and the Doc. Yeah, the only reason why I don't always uh, recommend uh, Blink to people is because the Doctor's barely in it. True. And uh, so here's one where I think this is a good entry point to the series, and it's and the Doctor and his companion are all over it. And interestingly, we sort of have stepped out of the Amy and Rory story for a little bit, owing to him not only being dead, but forgotten. And one of the touches in this script that I love that I suspect was actually Stephen Moffat uh, coming back for, you know, the last pass before it goes before the camera, you know, to touch something up uh, is uh, that nobody can see, including Amy, that she still remembers Rory. But Vincent, who sees things that other people don't, he can see it. Yes. Which we're going Isn't to get beautiful? to in just in just a moment. So I want to ask Clarence a question about the Amy and Rory dynamic. Do do we feel like just the way they presented Amy, did we buy the fact that she doesn't remember him at all? Did so for instance, would if we would never have known that Rory existed, did we buy that she didn't think that Rory existed anymore, that he was ultimately gone? Uh, from my point of view, a hundred percent. I didn't even catch that moment that you got, you guys were just speaking of, uh, that Vincent recognized. So I saw this as an adventure, one hundred percent, as if Rory never existed. It felt a certain amount of freshness because he wasn't there. Quite honestly, it's like it it it, it gives Amy uh, the the opportunity to be a bit more free in in uh, her approach to. Um, her interactions with with Vincent as well, so I, I I thought it made the episode feel fresh. And of course, we miss Rory, of course, but um, I don't I don't think she was missing him. I can tell. Yep. What about you, Lee? What did you? Oh, she she's very uh, flirty with uh, Vincent, and I, she she wouldn't do that otherwise. She yeah. just doesn't know that she's <laughs> that it's still the the night before her wedding. <laughs> Uh, yeah, for all intents and purposes, but right. other than what the doctor knows. And I loved, it's like what you said, Lee, you had these little slip of the tongues with, you know, the doctor accidentally calling Vincent Rory at one point. And then when Vincent says what he does to Amy about soldiering on, which I thought was beautifully done, but those little hints were not Amy-centric, meaning they happened around Amy, but weren't coming mm-hmm. from Amy. So I think that as far as Karen Gillan did, she did an excellent, excellent job of just literally soldiering on as the character without Rory for all intents and purposes. Yeah. And, and she's still, this was 15 years ago. She's still in terms of her growth and development as a performer. She's still a very young actor here. And yeah, that moment that we're talking about just, just blew me away when I watched it this time, because she is crying from the beginning of that scene. And he says, so why are you sad? And she says, I'm not. And he says, then why are you crying? And she touches her face. I mean, you can see it. You can mm-hmm. see it in her face. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's just remarkable. So, so I have a question here. We're saying we think that tear was because of Rory. Yeah. 
Oh, so I read that totally different. Oh, right, so how did you read it? I'm curious. I, I read it as if she was um, picturing what would happen to Vincent. And I think that's completely legitimate. I mean, she they know. <laughs> they <Yeah>. know. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, all right, yeah. so Shannon. It is sort of a Rorschach blot. Yeah, yeah. So, Shannon, how did you read that? Did you read that as she's missing Rory and doesn't know it? Or what she knows is to come for Vincent? I don't know that it's an either or. I mean, I had forgotten when I was listening to the episode that because I didn't go back to rewatch the ones before it. And so when he, she says, why are you being so nice to me and taking me all these special places? And I went, oh, that's right. We just lost Rory. And I had forgotten that. And then watching her, you know, be moving ahead and moving on and, and not being sad, except that there is this sadness that she's unaware of. I associated that with Rory, but also with, you know, because Dr. Black says the first time they're at the museum about this, the suicide, correct? Right. So there's just yep. sort of sadness permeating all the way through this episode. See, I, I took it for missing Rory because, well, well, let me change what I'm saying. I took it because of missing Rory, but I'm wondering now because of the way I took it, is it because of what I know is going to happen? So I don't really remember how I remembered it, you know, as I was actually watching. I'm remembering it with the foreknowledge of knowing that Rory's coming back. So, mm. Mm, yeah, you know, I'm kind of... Spoiler. Spoiler there. <laughs> <laughs> but what is not a spoiler is I'm curious to know, is it Van Gogh or is it Van Gogh? Or well, Van Gogh. Are, are <laughs> that, yes. Multiple pronunciations in this one. <laughs> yeah, people are saying it all over the place. And my good friend who is from the Netherlands says, ho. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> really, that, that hard G is just not something that's really in the language. So, yeah, he's, he's, they call him Van Hoch. So it, so like so many other pronunciations, it depends on who you are, where you are. Fans of classic radio like me just love the fact that as late as the 1950s, people are still saying Los Angeles. And, and you want to say, well, that's wrong. <laughs> well, no, it's really Los Angeles, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's the angels and it's, and it's Spanish. So it should be Los Angeles. But now we have settled on Los Angeles. That's so now that's correct, right? Okay. Los Angeles. Yep. <laughs> but then but, I've also heard of Los Angeles. Yeah. You, some people say Los Angeles too. That's well, who say gets LA. to decide? Right? right. That's it. This is how language <laughs> works. So we seem to have settled on Van Gogh in our language, even though nobody in the Netherlands would, would, would say it that way. But, um, but yeah. And, and it's funny that in this, in this episode that they decided to split it down the middle and call him Van Gogh. Like, like, uh, gotcha. only no. the doctor pronounces it Van Gogh, Van Gogh with an F sound. Yeah, it sounds like, like yeah, he's saying Gogh, yes, yeah. or, or G O T H, even it sounds yeah. like sometimes, yeah. But yeah, it, yeah, so if, if, you, if you want to be Dutch, it should be Hoch, but but we're, <sighs> but we're not, yeah, but we're not. We may have people <laughs> listening to us from the That's Netherlands, right. and if so, welcome, but welcome. um, you know. Just remember that we're from the South, most of us on here tonight, and we we just speak Southern here, we I just declare. <laughs> so, Vincent... I just don't want to make an ugly mess of it. So well, gonna, you, you can't, I declare, I make Vincent. it worse than, than, than this voice I'm using right now. But 
Um, <laughs> Vincent Van Gogh was born on the 30th of March, 1853, and died on the 29th of July, 1890. So, Lee, I want to point a question to you because you said something earlier that caught my attention, mm-hmm. and you said that this had special memory for you and the story of Vincent. Do you mind elaborating a little? Oh, not at all. I just don't want the show to be all about me, but uh, I, I am a, a huge admirer of Vincent's work, and uh, I was turned on to it by my father, um, who not only loved Vincent, but loved the song Vincent. My father was a, a talented musician, and he used to play and sing the song Starry, Starry Night, which is properly called Vincent. And uh, that's one of my my fondest memories of my father. My dad had a, a print of Starry Night in his in mom and dad's bedroom for, I don't know, decades. This enormous print. I, I think it's actually bigger than the, the actual painting is. But, um, so that's, it's just always been a part of my life. And I've seen the Starry Night because it's in New York. So I got to see it, uh, uh, live and in person when, uh, uh, when I lived there. And on our honeymoon trip, my wife and I were in, Paris, so we got to go to the Musée d'Orsay, and I can tell you a couple of interesting things about that. That is not the d'Orsay that they're in <laughs> uh, <laughs> when they say that they are, although there is, I guess it's it's stock footage or something, but there is one shot where uh, the doctor and Amy look up, and they look at the, the ceiling, and that is the ceiling of the museum, but um, everything else is a, a set that they built for this, and it doesn't look like the, the d'Orsay. And anyway... Most of Vincent's paintings are at the are in the uh, the Vincent van Gogh Museum, <laughs> which is in the Netherlands. So, um, but uh, but there are some of his uh, his sunflowers and so on at the Musée d'Orsay. But I but I just love the idea that there that for some magical reason all of his paintings are together in this one room at the Musée yeah. d'Orsay. So that that's a that's a wonderful idea. But um, yeah, so so having those experiences just. Uh, I don't know. My dad died about the time this episode aired. And one of the things I really wanted was for him to see it. And I, uh, you know, he, he was ill and I just, I couldn't, sometimes it wasn't the right time to go to their house and say, Hey, sit up. I want you to watch this episode of a TV show, you know? Right. But I always thought that he's going to get better and there would be time for him to see Vincent and the doctor. Cause he enjoyed doctor who with me for, for years, but, uh, but then, then he passed. So, um, my dad never got to see Vincent and the doctor. He would have loved it. So I thought of him when I was watching again, that moment where they're, they're holding hands and looking up at the sky. I thought that would have got him, man. <laughs> so cool. Well, thanks for sharing. I, that was, that was yeah. a touching story. So thank oh. you. Clarence, you and I and Lee have talked before about historical figures when we go and go back into history. From a historical perspective, what did you, how do you think this story ranks in making people want to find out more about the subject? A hundred percent, because that's what I did. <laughs> like, well, how did he really die? You know, mm-hmm. so I, I, I wouldn't research that, but. I think what's so great about how they present that to the viewer is that we start in what looks like the present time. The doctor sees a problem and we do that cool thing that I love to see in Doctor Who and they really do it and go for it. They see a problem in the past. They go to the past to solve the problem. So, <laughs> so, so they hit on all those, you know, sci-fi points for me that makes me love 
Doctor Who and they play with time. You know, we see a problem in his painting. Let's go back and research, see what's actually going on. As far as uh, Bengal's Bengal's story, it's so sad and so touching that I don't think anyone can can not go and research a little bit to to try to get a little more information. You know, did he commit suicide? Did he die from a errant bullet bullet from one of his neighbors? Who knows? Um, yeah, very true. And the, I'll second that. I looked up to find out how he died. And I looked up, you know, to see when he was actually born and, and look up more of the paintings that, that I never knew existed. There's, of course, the Starry Night. And then I was just really taken aback by how he, it's like when I was looking at some of the paintings that he had done in his own way of expression, it seemed like he was screaming out to people saying, help me, because so many of those photos, I mean, of those paintings, not photos, paintings were of people in despair. I'm looking at those thinking, you're trying to tell people in your own way, I'm depressed. I'm, you know, this is what I'm feeling. But one thing that I thought was very profound, and it was just a, almost a throwaway scene but I thought it was really, really powerful in the sense of you have the woman who is attacked in the street and she's killed in the street. Vincent had zero to do with what happened to the woman in the street. But as soon as the crazy man arrived, as they saw it in their head, he and the people who are with him suddenly become, you are, it's your fault. What have you done? And I'm not saying it's these people's fault, but it was... I think how mental health was perceived at the time. So I just thought that that was really, really big to put, put that in. So I'm curious, did anybody else think the same or have any thoughts about that? Oh, absolutely. And, and I love that the doctor and Amy had this moment where they're being pelted with, with rocks and garbage also because, because they're trying to, because they're standing with Vincent. And so that's one of those experiences that, the doctor can share with Amy is no, now she knows a little bit of what it was like to be Vincent. And, 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 it, and it's so much a part of Vincent's life and his heart that he connects that immediately with the, the creature. Once he knows its story, uh, he, he, he clearly knows how it felt. Kind yeah. of echoing back to Clarence, Clarence's point about going and doing some research. Um, that scene, the one you were talking about, Lee, where they're lying in the field and looking at the stars. Uh, I was thinking, I wonder if he was synesthetic. Mm-hmm. And so I went and looked it up and he was, they think that he had what's called chromesthesia, which was an association of sounds and colors. And that may have lent something to people's fear of him being insane because mm-hmm. he, he took piano lessons at one point and tried to learn how to play the piano, but he couldn't handle it because it was this sort of sensory overload because it associates sounds and colors. And so he just got bombarded with too much sensory information when he was trying to learn to play the piano. Yeah. Yeah, I, as well, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, he must have. And he says, um, Richard Curtis has him say in this episode that he, he can hear the colors. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I the, wrote, when, he, the, when he starts to paint the church, he, he shushes the doctor. And, you know, I wrote that down and I'm, I wanted to ask everyone about that, the concept of hearing colors. And mm-hmm. all four of us on here are creatives in our own way at different levels of creativity because whether it's creating what the two of you, Shannon and Lee, create, or it's talking like more so that 
Clarence and I do, we're still creating a narrative of any episode of something that we do. So we're all creative here. But that being said, isn't there just something about a mind of a creative person that sees the world or has the ability to see the world a little bit differently and that kind of opens the door for that creativityness per se thought yeah and i think i think that's what that's what opens the door for this this script to uh go in in the directions that it does um uh richard curtis um apparently is a huge Vincent fan. And so that was his pitch. He wanted to go to Steve Moffat and say, I want to do an episode about Vincent. That's all I know. You know, <laughs> well, wow. it's Doctor Who. It's also got to have a monster in it. Okay. Let me think about that. So this is how I imagine his thought process going. Vincent was somebody who literally saw things that other people couldn't see. Wait a minute. <laughs> right. What if, yeah, what if there's a monster on the loose? And part of why people think Vincent's crazy is because he can see it. And I think that's, you know, once you've got that idea, you're off. You know, you can sort of uh, make the rest of the story work work around that. Uh, it, it, there, There is an idea, and it is an unfortunate stereotype, that highly creative people also have to be kind of on the verge of madness. And I think Vincent's popularity in popular culture and sort of the story of his, his madness uh, is one of the things that feeds into that. I think that he becomes a prototype of artists. And so people think that artists are always a little, a little nuts. And I think that's not necessarily true, but I don't know. Let's, let's thought about that. S- since I brought up um, Richard Curtis being a big fan of Vincent, his his reverence for Vincent was such that when he apparently when he started talking about this script, one of the things he said was, I don't want us to get into the things that people think they know about Vincent. And the main thing is, I don't want us to try to depict him as having part of his left ear missing. I just don't want to talk about that at all. And as you can see, that was the agreement. Apparently, this Vincent in this episode of Doctor Who did not have an episode in which he cut off part of his left ear and wrapped it in paper, gave it to a prostitute. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah. but, but that did happen. But we're just it, it's just not germane to this story. So we're just not going to do it. And, and, and I respect that. Yeah, I wondered how much of his history they kind of uh, reframed in, in this story. Um, the doctor even makes the point to say, was it not mad, but you're depressed, mm-hmm. you know, which I, I guess that makes sense. He seems like a lonely man. It could lead him to being depressed along with this bit of craziness of seeing colors and, and whatnot. I think they were trying to make a through line with his loneliness and then the, the uh, alien that was trapped there. Mm-hmm. And then the doctor even mentions it as well. Oh, and Amy's, do you think? Oh, yes. Yes, certainly. Certainly. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let me ask you guys about, you know, we've talked about the starry sky and we're talking about what Vincent can hear, you know, seeing, hearing colors. Here's something that I picked up in this episode that I've never picked up on all the times that I've watched this before is the concept of it looked like the doctor used telepathy or the doctor's innate telepathic abilities when they're laying out there in the field and they're seeing through Vincent's eyes. I never got that before, but whenever I was reading up uh, that the intent was that it was the doctor's telepathic abilities that allowed them to see 
what Vincent. I hundred percent did not get. That. I didn't get that either. But but but, but I liked the concept. Yeah, yeah. I I remember thinking about it after seeing the episode. But you know, I think it's like the doctor's catching his reflection uh, and and seeing the Dream Lord. I don't think that's necessarily literally supposed to have happened. I think that's the show depicting for us something about the way the doctor felt and what he was thinking. Got you. So I guess that, so I interpreted this more artistically that Amy and the doctor are thinking about what Vincent is saying and what we in the audience are getting as a representation of that is the night sky literally turning into the starry night as we're watching. Got you. Uh, Well, you know, one thing, one thing that I really, really enjoyed, and this was my, geek out moment when I'm watching it for the first time. And this is all praise Moffat again. When we see Matt Smith look into the mirror and we see the pictures of William Hartnell and Patrick Troughton pop up as the faces of his previous incarnation. So any thoughts on seeing doctors one and two and Shannon, I'll let you take that one. Any thoughts on seeing the first and second doctor's image just for that brief moment. And love it, obviously. They're, you know, it's, it's so great to hearken back to that. Um, I, I had only this third or fourth time through understood that he was looking at his own reflection. I wasn't sure what he was looking at, to be honest. I just assumed it was some sort of screen that was running. But it was this last time watching it. I was like, oh, that's what he's saying. He's seeing himself. But in his previous incarnations, I love it. I think it's a wonderful salute back to the original Doctors. Awesome. Any other thoughts, Clarence and Lee? Uh, that's the next version of the iPhone. Instead of uh, you know Retina <laughs> authentication, Face ID, we're going to have Tongue ID. You know. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it is a fun way of saying that the, to, of letting the audience know this is a gizmo that identifies things. Okay, who who is this that you're looking at right now? Oh yeah, okay, yes, <laughs> yeah, William Hartnell, that's me. Yeah, thank you, you got it. Hey, it's in his library card, so it's, it's still on his library card. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of, of cynicism here, though. Um, I have to think that the timing cannot be coincidental, that uh, the BBC was doing a big push of releasing uh, DVDs of the first and second Doctor Adventures <laughs> at about the time this episode aired. So whatever works. Exactly. <laughs> whatever works. Yeah. All right. So I'm curious on something, you know, we've often talked about fixed moments in time and don't mess with time and don't mess with historical figures. And Clarence, I want to point this one toward you. Placing Vincent in danger. He's in the line of fire here, even though, yes, he's the only one that can see this creature, but it's still a creature that could kill him. Thoughts on placing Vincent in danger. I think it's reasonable enough to assume that the doctor and Amy are supposed to be there to help him. Because do we think he could have, you know, took on this alien by himself? Maybe. I don't know. So I don't I don't think it was so much of them placing him in danger. I just think they were meant to be there with him. That's how I'm reading it. So I don't see how he sees the alien, although I know he can see colors and he thinks different. Uh, But, yeah, I, I still didn't get the logic in that. All right, good answer. Any other thoughts on putting Vincent in danger from anyone? Well, this is this goes back to the the, the great question that Clarence raised when we were doing a Forest of the Dead. Um, that's the name of it, right? Forest of the Dead, because um, we were talking about what happens if Amy. Yeah, Kyle. Kyle needs to 
brush up on his river song uh history yeah, kind of, hello yeah it's kind of like there's pages missing from the encyclopedia of the <laughs> <Adonic> <laughs> flesh, flesh and stone <laughs> thank you flesh and stone flesh and called. stone yes but but we, then we're talking about this real danger what happens if amy disappears because we know as people who've seen the rest of the, the series what impact that might have on some other characters who are in the same episode with her you know, we didn't have a good answer for that. But here in this episode, the doctor says, if Vincent dies now, some of those paintings that we saw in the Musée d'Orsay will just disappear. True. So we, we know that this is, this is not a fix, that Vincent is not a fixed point. We, we really could kill him and lose. And, and I think that's, that's essential to the story, the way it's being told, because we also want to believe that if they are going to somehow restore his mental health by giving him one, a beautiful 10 minutes in the future, oh, yes. <laughs> um, which, you know, is, is beautiful, but maybe kind of silly, but um, it, it, they're thinking that if he, if he's going to live to be 90 years old, then obviously he's going to have painted 60 years of paintings. So let's, let's go see them. I want, when you're talking about his paintings, I want to mention something or ask a question before I forget it. At the beginning of this episode, when Amy and the doctor first go into the museum, there is a little kid that says, oh, look, there's the doctor. And you see this picture. Did anyone else feel like this was an abstract John Pertwee? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, thank really? you. <laughs> well, maybe maybe it's um, – I can't see that because I know the painting too well, but uh, yeah. So, so I did hear a yes, right? I wasn't crazy. Or did no, I? No, yeah, I, I think it did. Okay, think thanks. Because they do play around with the, I guess they do show all real paintings, but they inject story elements into them. Of course, the, the shadow in the window, and then we see Amy's name on the sunflower. I don't know what it's called, the sunflower flower painting. So I didn't know if they were just trying to fool us or this is real. But I, I looked up, yeah, it's, it's real. Cool. Yeah, I, that's uh, Gachet. Is that that's his name, Doctor Gachet, who was was one of uh, the people who yeah who who who, 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 who tried to help Vincent, but uh, yeah, that's a that's a famous painting of him, and so yeah, if you know that painting, then you, you know you you get the joke that the doctor turns when he hears somebody say it's the doctor, but he's saying it's the doctor who not yeah. it's a doctor, not the doctor. <laughs> it's a doctor, yes, not not the genuine artist, <laughs> yes, uh, but uh, but but since you brought them up, I want to say that um, there there are three paintings that are altered and not shown exactly as they are, and of course there's the the church at Arles that has the 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 creature in the window, and then as you say the uh, uh, the sunflowers that are that are now dedicated to Amy, which I think is beautiful, and the third one is the the famous portrait of Vincent. Which uh, he tries to give to the doctor, but the doctor knows to talk about messing things up in the timeline. This is one of the most famous paintings in the world. He's got to keep that one. <laughs> but it is not really the painting. It is it is a beautiful piece of work. I'd love, love to know who did it. It is half Vincent and half the actor. The actor. Yeah, yes. it's it's half Tony Curran. So it, so when he's holding it up next to his face, it's obviously him. But it's perfectly in the style of the famous painting. So. Uh, I just love that moment. Um, so, yeah. So that would means- you have been able to resist if if you were the doctor <laughs> in that situation and he handed isn't, you? Isn't that a great question? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the doctor says, "No, no, no." And Vincent says, "Yeah, well, I don't blame you. Nobody else wants it either." Like, oh, just you? Oh no. Yeah, yeah it hurts. 
Good Heights. I don't know. But I, I, but if you know his paintings, and of course, you know, people all over the world do, one of the things to love about this episode is the beautiful care they've taken to recreate some of the places that he painted, including his bedroom, so that when you walk into it in three dimensions with people moving around in it, you, a lot of us, we feel like we know this place. We go, Oh, look where we are. And the little cafe where we, where we meet him in the first place. It's just, it's just, I love that. And is one of the, is the woman in black, is that the, the gal who was cleaning tables at the very start? Ah, that's a thought. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. See, I kind of thought that too. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'll buy that. I'll buy that. Hey, give you an, what is it you say, Lee? Give you a, just give me an explanation. You'll be fine with it. So I want to move on to one of my, and I'm going to say quote unquote with some air quotes here, favorite scenes because it is my favorite, but I don't like it because it has the reaction that it always does, which is black. Uh, we met a few days ago. I, I asked you about the church and the Oh, yes. Glad to be of help. You were nice about my tie. Yes. And today is another cracker, if I may say so. But I just wondered, between you and me, in a uh, hundred words, where do you think Van Gogh rates in the history of art? Well, um, big question. Um, but to me, Van Gogh is the finest painter of the world. Certainly the most popular great painter of all time. The most beloved, his command of color, the most magnificent. He transformed the pain of his tormented life into ecstatic beauty. Pain is easy to portray, but to use your passion and pain to portray the ecstasy and joy and magnificence of our world, no one had ever done it before. Perhaps no one ever will again. But to my mind, that strange wild man who roamed the fields of Provence was not only the world's greatest artist but also one of the greatest men who ever lived the museum so Clarence this is like the second time you've seen this story what did you think of the museum when they take him to the museum yeah I thought those you know, Lee, Lee made a point about maybe not making sense, but I loved it. I loved it. You hear the saying people say, give people their roses while they can still smell them, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they, you, what a gift, what a gift, you know, for much of his life, we know that he wasn't renowned or anything. He was just, a, you know, a downtrodden artist with, with very serious problems and to be halted to the level that he is after his death, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's no way he could imagine. I just thought it was beautiful that we allow him to see the heights that his art goes, you know, and he just gets yeah, the doctor gives him the gift of, of seeing that. Now, does it make a lot of sense in the story? Probably not, but I, I still love it. I thought it was a beautiful scene. Awesome. Shannon, what about you? What was your take on this? Well, I'm a little upset that the doctor has not landed in my yard to take me to the future where the Oz 9 Museum is thing. <laughs> so I'm a little concerned that this is, this is not going to work out as hoped, but, uh. It hasn't I, happened yet. Remember your, uh, I, I did hear from the doctor and she said that the reason that there is an, not an Oz 9 Museum is because the whole museum was funded by gated galaxies. Oh, damn. <laughs> so, enough said. 
and yeah. built by, so it just collapsed instantly. Right, exactly. There's yeah. a, there's a, a, there was a, a lot of works. mold. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say, I am with Clarence on this one. I think it is absolutely the most wonderful scene. Uh, Dr. Black, and I'm not going to say the actor's name because I cannot reliably pronounce his last name. <laughs> He's Bill Nye, not the science guy. If I, you know, I went years, just FYI, thinking he was the science guy. FYI, yeah, he was. No. Dif- different Bill Nye. Yeah. Different tall skinny dude. Yeah. Um, I absolutely love that scene. I even love, and I normally hate that spinning camera work, but it works so well in this scene because he is just dizzy with what he's hearing. And we're dizzy. And the flood of words coming out of Dr. Black is so glorious. And who wouldn't want to hear that? And we are so vested in in Vincent by this point in the show. We love him. He's a wonderful person. And we so love that he's getting finally to hear, you know, how beloved he is in the you know 2021st century. So I absolutely love that scene. And I have a bone to pick with Lee who just called it silly. <laughs> oh, come on, go for it. <laughs> it's just it's the it's wonderfully sweet and it's one of those rare moments where you feel like finally the good guy gets the good yeah guy, you know? yeah well, well then let me hasten to clarify what i mean because i too <laughs> i i not only just think this is you know the, the 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 glittering jewel in the crown of this episode this is one of my favorite scenes in all of who mm-hmm. and for all of the reasons that both of you have said, uh, what, what I what I meant when I said that it was silly was that you can't stick a Band-Aid on a profound mental health problem. Having that experience is a glorious thing. But somebody like Vincent, when you get him back to 1890, it's not going to stick. I just I feel like I know too much about depression, anxiety and <sighs> schizophrenia and all the other things that people say that he may have been bedeviled by. It's it's not going to stick. But my God, for those minutes while he's there and, and yeah. And how perfect is it that the doctor is able to ask Black a question and Black's answer is exactly everything that Vincent has ever needed to hear. Right. While he's surrounded by his work on display, he's always wanted to just see somebody, anybody put his painting up on a wall. <laughs> and now and- here they all are. And there are people who have come from all over the world to see them. What? Yeah, I, I'm with you, Shannon, about the about the the, the steady cam thing. It's way overused, and it mm-hmm. and it just it, I find it nausea inducing sometimes. And uh, but if there ever was a perfect time for it, this is it because he's mm-hmm. he's off balance. The room is spinning, and it's it's just perfect. And what a performance from Tony Kerr, and he doesn't get a word, but to he say. doesn't have to. He doesn't yeah. have to. It's just oh, gorgeous. it's so beautiful. Yeah. It really is a gorgeous moment. Yeah. So this is, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to also take something that you said, Lee, which is the Band-Aid. And I don't really think it was a Band-Aid. I think it was much greater than that. And I think that, you know, we've recently been talking about, because of the book chapter that we're writing, about what makes the doctor important to us. And I wish that I would have remembered this or we would already have watched this because I think this is one of the reasons why Doctor Who is such a great show. And what I mean by that is for the character of the doctor, the way I interpreted that action was even when something is inevitable, he knew without a doubt that within a year, that Vincent would take his own life. There, that I, I think the doctor knew that what they were doing 
ultimately would not change the outcome of what would happen to Vincent. But even if you know something is inevitable, that doesn't mean you can't have a moment of kindness to make even a day better of these 365 that he had left. If if you just changed one day out of that 300 and whatever that he had left, you made a difference. You still didn't check. You know, it wasn't about the end result. It was just about making that moment better. And that's why I just, every time I see this museum scene, it just like turns me into a bowl of Put, I'm in a puddle on the floor. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, me too. Yeah, and, what you makes know, me... I, I will adopt your explanation because to me that makes perfect sense, mm-hmm. and it's exactly what he says to Amy later. I mean, yeah. What makes me sad about this is that I think Vincent is himself fairly convinced that he's that there is some madness in him, and you get this feeling that when he goes back and tomorrow morning he'll wake up and be convinced that this was just more evidence of his own madness and he'll not mm. remember it as a, as a real and authentic moment. Uh, yeah. As he stood watching the TARDIS dematerialize, I, that really struck me this time. I thought, well, if you already are concerned that you're losing your mind, this ought to, <laughs> this ought to push you right over the edge. Yeah. yeah. And, and he walks out of the TARDIS so hopeful moving yeah. forward with his life. Oh, mm-hmm. man. So so let's return to the museum the second time when we get back and we've got Amy bouncing out of the TARDIS with hopeful, oh, I can't wait to see all the great things and all the different paintings. So Clarence, when you see Amy walk back in from the scene we've just seen and she realizes that nothing immediately noticeable that's changed thoughts uh the gives his ass to the overall sadness of the episode um i don't think that they really i mean i'm sure the doctor like lisa i don't think the doctor knew it would have changed but i don't think she should have thought that either in 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 the sense that he's so i guess he could have been more influential but as he is he's so influential to so many strands or butterflies going forward as far as an artist and I guess I could see a, a world where he was more influential if he, you know, had more time to paint more. Uh, so yeah, maybe that's a moot point, but, but it still was, you know, sad to see her have the realization that, you know, he didn't live on that, you know, his fate was sealed, but you know, she, she gave him a little bit of hope and we saw that in the, the sunflower. Awesome. Awesome. So anyone else, any thoughts on the return to the museum saying? I love that long shot of Amy walking towards the the painting with the sunflowers. And we we haven't seen it yet, Mm -hmm. but we know that she's seen something. And she's this long, long walk pulling back in front of her. It's just, just, yeah, another thing to love about this episode. So before we get to our favorite scene and favorite quote, I have one last question, which is, are there any topics that either of the three of you had written down that we have not covered and Shannon, I will start with you. There was one thing I wanted to ask if if I just dreamed this or at the very end. So after Vincent kisses Dr. Black on the cheek and Dr. Black starts to walk away and he sort of looks back like, was that who? No, that's ridiculous. Right. And walks away. If you look really closely, it looks like there is the residue of one of Vincent's tears on his cheek. Mm. There's just a little strip of moisture. And I thought I'm sure it's entirely accidental, but it's just kind of a cool thing because it's such a fleeting thing that will be gone in a few seconds, but 
Yeah, I don't know. I just I just noticed it this last time because I was watching it right before we started this, and I thought, wait a minute, is that what I think that is? But oh, hmm. well, I need to watch it again on a and on a bigger screen because when you said that, Shanna, my heart skipped a beat. <laughs> Oh my God. Oh, I hope that's true. Please look for me and tell me if I'm doing that. So I'm going to ask that question to Lee and Clarence. And while I'm doing that, I'm watching that scene. So I will answer your question. (laughs) But Clarence, were there any other things that you had down that we have not brought up? I don't think so. Oh, we didn't mention the uh, bigger on the inside moment. (laughs) I thought that was pretty cool. Oh, and there's a wonderful moment, too, where they go back to the TARDIS and it's covered in magazines or newspapers, I guess. But when they go back to the museum, yeah. it, can, it, it it takes time to do something they really didn't have to do. But they show mm-hmm. the, the newspapers getting burnt away as they open the door and walk out. I just yeah. thought that was really cool. It's it's a lovely thing. I always love any time that we, we, we sort of um, – approach the issue of what the TARDIS is like traveling through space and time, you know, what, what's, what the environment is like and things like that. And, and yeah, this is one of those times. Um, yeah, those are, those are posters. Uh, and, and, and this is the, the heyday of the poster in Europe. Uh, you could make good money desi- hmm. uh, designing, uh, posters because people use them. I mean, think about it. If you're going to advertise something, what else is there? <laughs> you know, <laughs> in the 1890s, so uh, you know, it's the newspaper. But yeah, if you want to catch people's eye, you printed posters and you'd make a million of them, stick them up everywhere, and don't worry about it because tomorrow somebody's going to cover your poster over with one of their own. <laughs> so the TARDIS is there for two days or whatever, and of course it's been covered with posters like everything else. So. But uh, the doctor's not concerned; he knows what's going to happen. Push. But, uh, yeah, the, that, the poster business kept Toulouse Lautrec alive. And I mean, he. Uh, yeah, and Alphonse Mucha as well. And Mucha, that's right, yeah. No, I was just, I was looking at his birth date and he was born in 1860. So Van Gogh was just seven years old. Oh, the Mucha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Lee, there's somebody we need to see on Doctor Who sometime because. Bryce? Anyway. I, so, <laughs> he, so Lee, but, what yeah. about you? Did you have any oh. other. Topics. I did. I got real interested in, in this church. I know that they are not at the cathedral uh, that is in the painting. So I wondered where they shot this, and I had to look it up. That is Landaff Cathedral, uh, which is in Cardiff. So, you know, they just jogged down the road to do this. And uh, we've seen that church before inside and out on Doctor Who. It was the boys' school in human nature and family of blood. Oh, nice. Hmm. And the only time we saw the exterior of it, where it is clearly a church, is in the little moment where we saw Mr. Smith and Joan getting married. And so, really quick, I did just go back and watch that scene that we were talking about three times, and I (laughs) can make my mind see what I want it to see. (laughs) Well, yes. So I'm not sure... If what I saw was real or not. <laughs> so I'm answering it without really answering mm. it because I really think I was making myself see what I wanted to see. So, and I probably was as well. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> so. Well, yeah. And I haven't looked at it again, obviously in the, in the last um, two minutes, but um, I have decided that that's there. So I'm there you go. I don't care what's <laughs> that. You know what? It's like, it's like that a little bottle of um, serum at the end of caves of Androzani that I said was there and turns out it's not there. I've decided it's there. So <laughs> like I said, at the very beginning, we live in our own realities. <laughs> so if that's, that's right. what your reality <laughs> says, go yep. for it. 
Not mad, just a fanboy. There you exactly. Go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. All right. Real quick, before we go on to our favorite uh, scene, I want to mention something really quick. And Lee, you prompted me to remember this, which is when you were talking about reusing sets or reusing locations again, I meant to mention this when we were doing the Hungry Earth and the second part or after that with the Silurians. When they are in this big hall where they're doing the debates or they're trying to, you know, go back and forth and make their agreement or their peace treaty or whatever, the that is used again. I am almost certain it is used again in Let's Kill Hitler next season when they are with River and Melody Pond and all that good stuff. So I think we see that location again or that set again because it just looked very familiar. So FYI. wow. And I, I sh- this may just be a marker for, for your post-production, but I just sent you an audio file that is sort of related to a bit of trivia. I didn't know if it would be possible to just play it right here. I don't. Well, let's don't see. Let's... If you've been affected by the issues raised in this program and you'd like details of information and support, go to bbc.co.uk slash headroom. If you don't have access to the internet, you can call the Headroom Action Line in confidence on 08000 993. Calls are free from a landline, mobile operators will charge, and lines are open 24 hours a day. This is something that inspired me to, to do something similar in a, a relativity. Um, because this does deal so frankly and honestly with this kind of mental trauma, and we talk um, so much about the fact that Vincent is going to kill himself. The Some wiser heads at the BBC made sure that the episode ended with not a, 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 an announcement about what episode or what to program is coming on next, as they always did, but instead a public service announcement uh, sending people to a bbc.co.uk website uh, about uh, mental health issues. And with it, with an emergency number to call, you know, if you have suicidal ideation. So, and as far as I know, that's the only time the show has ever done that. But I love that. I love that that's how the show ended. Our favorite scene. And Shannon, I'm going to once again start with you. Favorite scene. What was your favorite scene? Great advantages to being a guest. <laughs> you get to go first. <laughs> <laughs> Well, my favorite scene is probably in the museum, but since I figured we would have discussed that already, I also chose um, the three of them lying on the grass looking up at the stars, the starry night. I love that Vincent says, hold my hand, doctor, try to see what I see. I thought that was just, I love that whole, I love the position their bodies are in. I love that they're all holding hands, even though the doctor is a little bit reluctant about it. And I think it's just a very sweet and it's very meaningful scene. He's He's introducing them to his world in a... In a very personal way. Good saying. Good saying. All right. Clarence Brown, favorite scene. Uh, my favorite scene is when they are battle- battling the, is it Gafferis? I can't, I can't remember the name of the alien, but they're battling yeah. it and, and no one can see it, but Vincent, but the doctor is like swatting away with the ring. <laughs> Like he actually sees something. Yeah. So I just, I just thought that was great because at the end of it, he, he actually gets knocked down by this invisible force. So I just had fun with that whole thing. <laughs> yes. Cool. Lee Shackelford, what say you? 
Yeah, that is a whole lot of fun. Just, just all of it. Oh, there's so many, so many scenes to love in this episode. I just, a little moment that always makes me laugh out loud is when Vincent is going to draw them uh, a sketch of the creature and he very quickly with a broad brush paints over one of his own paintings, which artists do all the time. But the doctor and Amy go, ah! <laughs> <laughs> as he buries one of his great paintings. But, uh, it's just, I love that. But no, I mean, nothing tops the, the lying in the field thing. And it, it, it's wonderful that, that they are holding hands because, and the, the shot doesn't start with them all, the three of them holding hands. But that, so there's a moment for each of them of Vincent offering his hand to Amy and she takes it and he says, take my hand, doctor. And then the last thing is the doctor's hands and Amy sort of finding each other in the dark, mm-hmm. doctor and Amy. Mm-hmm. And then the circle's complete. It's just, I just love the way that was done. It's, it's so lovely. So for me, my favorite scene is just got a hands down be the museum. Cause I, you know, mm. I've said on this show before, you know, I will cry at the drop of a hat, but <laughs> usually it takes years or, you know, at least several months for me to not be affected by a scene, you know, watching it really, really close together. I watched that scene on Sunday. I watched that scene today. <laughs> I cried like a baby on Sunday. I still kind of like teared up today. So that has to be hands down my favorite scene. So favorite. There's a theory. theory okay. About theory. Give human me psychology theory. that I've just heard. And I just, it's a lot of relevant and I'll bring it up because I can't shut up. But, uh, that one of the reasons why we cry at things like that is because part of human nature is that we are always struggling for an, uh, that we have an innate sense of justice that as human beings, we have an idea of how things ought to be and that we cry when they're not the way they ought to be, like when we get hurt. And and we have the same reaction when we see something unexpectedly be, yes, that's how it ought to be. And I think that's that's where my tears in this scene come from. When Vincent is getting what he deserves, don't you think? Yeah. That's my theory. Interesting. And you know what I would love to see as an interesting uh, test to that theory is to take two people who have never watched Doctor Who mm. and put one person in the room and show them that scene. Put another person in the room and show them the entire episode. And I guarantee you both of them would most likely have an emotional reaction. But I would imagine based on your theory that you just said the person who watches the entire episode and sees the pain and mistreatment, etc., for Vincent up to that point will have a much stronger reaction than the, yeah. just that scene. Yeah. And, and, and you do that with people who know a lot about the historical, about the real Vincent and, and people who don't and see how that scene affects them. Yeah. So favorite lines. Favorite lines. And you know what? Since you said favorite lines, Lee Shackelford, favorite quote, what say ye? I love you. That's my favorite line from this episode. <laughs> oh, I just thought you were talking to me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wanted to set it up that way and see what happened. <laughs> I just, Amy, one thought, one simple instruction. Don't follow me under any circumstance. I won't. Will you follow him? Of course. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> <laughs> You just have to applaud. Go, yes. (laughs) All right. Clarence Brown, what say you? 
Uh, it's also similar to that that scene there when they're at the church and the doctor is waiting and waiting and waiting. And he says, <laughs> if there's one thing I can't stand, it's an unpunctual alien attack. Yes. <laughs> is this how time normally passes? Really slowly? <laughs> in, in, in the right order. In the right order. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did like that one, too. All right, Shannon, favorite quote. What say you? Can I have two? Uh, absolutely. Go for it. You awesome. three. <laughs> That's so great. So the first one was when Amy says, oh, shut up. I'm just going to buy a bottle of wine and I can share it with whom I choose. Like, I think that's wonderful. What a great solution to the problem. (laughs) Love that. And the second one is uh, when he's the doctor's about to go into the church to battle the creature. And Vincent says, but you're not armed. I am. What with? Overconfidence, this and a small (laughs) screwdriver. I'm absolutely (laughs) sorted. Awesome. So you know what? All three of you shocked me with your favorite scenes. I mean, favorite quotes. And the reason I say that no one picked the one I figured at least, and Lee Shackelford, I'm pointing my finger virtually at you. I was Mm. so sure you were going to pick this one. But since nobody picked it, I'm going to say that my favorite quote is, the way I see it, every life is a pile of good things and bad things. The good don't, excuse me, the good things don't always soften the bad things, but vice versa. The bad things don't necessarily spoil the good things or make them unimportant. And we definitely added to his pile of good things. Yeah. I just love that. It's, it's a great one. All right. Yeah. All right. Final rating. And Shannon, I will start with you. Final rating. What say you? 10 sunflowers out of 10. Ooh, nice. All right. <laughs> Lee Shackelford. What say ye? Um, on a scale of one to five, I'm going to give it five bow ties. Uh, five. <laughs> I couldn't remember what the scale was. Oh, hey, <laughs> we, we make up our own scale. Yeah, the, the, yeah. I, I gave Amy a seven the first time too. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. all right, Clarence Brown. What say ye? Whatever scale it is, <laughs> the max value exactly ulti- ultimate gingers yeah. out of nice. whatever max value is. <laughs> All right. I'm going to give this an infinite starry nights out of starry nights. Nice. So, or, or out of infinite. So, all right. This has been fun. This has been a lot of fun. This is one of my big time favorite Doctor Who episodes that I have been like dying to get to. And Shannon, you have made this just so much better. Because the, you were on here. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you once again. Well, thank you for joining. Thank you for entertaining me. This I love your show and I've listened to it all the time and it was really, really fun to be a part of it. Thank you. Well, I don't know if you figured it out yet, but a certain person on this show absolutely loves a certain show that you create. So <laughs> FYI, I don't know who that is, but uh, anyway. I think his name is Kyle, but I'm not sure. Anyway, um, <laughs> so I have one final question for you. If someone were looking for that show that we're just now talking about on the Internet, where might they go? Uh, <laughs> well, pretty much any of the podcatchers or to oz-9.com. Awesome. Awesome. So, Lee Shackelford, where else might you be found on the Internet? All kinds of places, but I'll continue to point people towards RelativityPodcast.com. Awesome. Clarence Brown, what about you? Where else can you be found on the Internet? I'm going to invite people to join in on the conversation. Check us out on Facebook by going to Facebook.com slash groups and searching for Discussing Network. 
Awesome. And I will point everyone listening to discussingnetwork.com for all the shows. And Clarence has recently revamped the website a little bit and adding some more Ooh. shows that have recently joined our network. So nice. check us out, discussingnetwork.com. And with that, we will be back next time. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at discussingnetwork.com. Discussing Who is brought to you by Audible. You've probably heard of Audible, but just in case, they are the world's leading provider of audiobooks. They have more than 180,000 titles. Let me say that again. 180,000 titles to choose from. Imagine a genre. They've got an audiobook. And these files play on smartphones, Kindles, tablets, in fact, over 500 different devices. Now, for fans of Discussing Who, Audible is offering a free download when you start a new Audible subscription. And you can choose anything at all from that vast library. But we know you want to get one of their absolutely fantastic Doctor Who titles, which include New Adventures of the Doctor, but also Torchwood and River Song. And they're performed for you by actors you know and love. Wonderful voices, Tom Baker, Alex Kingston, David Tennant. The list goes on and on. So try it out for 30 days. And if at the end of the month you decide Audible is not for you, you still get to keep that Doctor Who book you downloaded. So look at it this way. free. Doctor Who book. So here's how you get started. Point your favorite web browser to audibletrial.com slash discussing who. That's audible trial, all one word, A-U-D-I-B-L-E-T-R-I-A-L dot com slash discussing who. Also one word. And that's how you get your free book. What could be better than that?